Welcome to an audio stream from San Marino Community Church, featuring sermons drawn from our pastoral staff and various guest preachers. today is Pentecost Sunday. It's the day where we recognize the Holy Spirit coming upon the people and igniting God's church in the world. Um, I want to just take a minute before I go into our scripture for today, I want to just draw your attention again to this card that you should have received when you came in. One of the ushers probably handed this to you. If they didn't, I really hope that you will go and grab one of these from the ushers when the service is done. Um, In the fall, we are going to be doing a sermon series called Burning Questions, talking about the curious corners of our faith. Because we recognize that as people of faith, we often have a lot of questions about God, about the church, about what we believe, about what we don't believe, about evil, about the end of the world. And we don't always feel like we have a safe place to ask these questions, particularly within the church. And so this upcoming fall, we are going to be that safe place, taking your questions and using them to inform not only our sermon series, but other opportunities that we'll have in terms of classes and small groups. So we really hope that between now and the end of June, you will take as many of these as you would like and write down your questions, drop them in the offering plate as it goes by, so that we can compile them and create that time together in the fall. You don't have to do it just once. You can grab as many of these as you like, but again, you only have till the end of June to do it. So I hope that you will write down any questions or thoughts that you want us to be considering as we come into the fall season for worship. Now, As we come to our scripture passage today, you might recognize, um, if you have been in the church for a long time, you might recognize that we're reading a passage that is a little unusual. It's still typical for Pentecost, but usually we come into the book of Acts on Pentecost Sunday. Acts is in the New Testament. Today we're in the Hebrew Bible, in the book of Numbers, and we are going to be joining the Hebrew people when we come into our story today We're joining the Hebrew people as they are on their journey leaving Egypt. They had been slaves in Egypt. They had been led out into the desert to the following so that they could go to the land of promise, the land of life. Um, So they're walking through the desert on that journey. And that's where we're going to join them when we come into this story today. The Hebrews are not very happy at this point, and that's important to note. We're going to talk about that in just a little bit. But when Moses and God and Joshua are talking in our scripture passage, they are dealing with a very challenging situation. The Hebrews are unhappy. They have been journeying in the desert for years at this point. They're tired. They're hungry. They're annoyed. They're starting to think that maybe slavery wasn't that bad after all. And that's not ever a good place to be. And so Moses and Joshua and God are working together to continue to lead the Hebrew people out into that land of promise. So when we come in at verse 24, 
you're going to hear Moses. Moses goes out and he told the people the words of the Lord, that the Lord wanted them to gather all of these 70 elders. And Moses then gathers 70 elders of the people and placed them all around the tent, the place where they had been staying. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and the smoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And when the spirit rested upon them, they prophesied, but they did not do so again. Now two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other named Medad, and the spirit rested upon them. They were among those registered, but they had not gone out to the tent. And so they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, son of Nun, the assistant of Moses, one of his chosen men, said, My Lord Moses, stop them. But Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. And Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. It is your spirit that we are hungry for. It is your spirit that will guide us forward. And so we pray that it will be the voice of your spirit, O oh God, that we hear. We pray that you will invigorate us with courage and hope, ignite our hearts in fire, so that we can follow you no matter where you lead. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. I'm not a huge fan of spiders. I'll coexist with them if I don't feel threatened, but also it doesn't take much for me to feel threatened when there's a spider in the room. My husband Andy is the designated spider attender in our family. He is a fan of the put them in a cup and carry them outside method of getting rid of spiders, which is to say that spiders probably prefer my husband over me as well because I do not tend to be as gracious. There was one time that I tried to be gracious to a spider. Several years ago when Andy and I were living in the high desert, we had a small in-ground pool at our house that was right along the foot of where the Rocky Mountains end. And so I came out one hot summer day to see a very large tarantula floating upside down in the water. Now there's one thing that's true about tarantulas. Being the size of my palm or bigger, they're too big to be smushed with a paper towel and too big to be sucked up into a vacuum cleaner. They are the kind of spiders where you usually just have to agree to part ways. So to be honest, I was relieved to see that I didn't have to plan any escape route. But additionally, I didn't want the tarantula to clog the pool filter. So I took the skimmer and I carefully skimmed the tarantula out of the pool with the aim of throwing it over the fence to where I knew it would have a peaceful burial. But the joke was on me because the second that I lifted that spider out of the water, it righted itself in the net, climbed out, and then landed on the deck with a very 
wet, eight-legged splat. And maybe I was interpreting just a little too much from this, but I swear that that tarantula pointed its front two legs at me before it turned around and waltzed right back into the pool, flipping itself back over on its back. It turned out that I wasn't helping the spider at all. I had just managed to interrupt its afternoon swim. I learned that day that the only way to know that a large spider is really dead is if its head is in a different place than its body. Because even though it has eight legs and eight eyes, they are all still controlled by that one central nervous system that manages it all. It turns out that without a head, spiders can't function. Now, just over 15 years ago, authors Ori Braffman and Rod Beckstrom wrote a book called The Starfish and the Spider, where they used the metaphors of a spider and a starfish to make an important point about how groups of people function, about leadership. Now, the metaphor goes something like this. If you chop the head off of a spider, then it dies. But if you chop a leg, or, or even more than a leg, off of a starfish, it not only will survive, it will regenerate. That's because the starfish doesn't have a centralized nervous system. Instead, they have this decentralized nervous structure, which means that because there is not one central origin of control, nearly any amount of starfish can repair or regenerate into a new healthy starfish. The point of Braffman and Beckstrom's book isn't to offer an anatomy lesson on spiders and starfish, but to highlight the difference between a centralized or decentralized group, between leading from one central place or having a decentralized fan of leadership. They highlight that when power is centralized around one person with one chain of command and with one clear line of communication in and out, then that organization might be efficient, but it is also very, very vulnerable. An example that they give of a spider-like organization were the Aztecs. The Aztecs were one of the most advanced and efficient societies that were documented in history, and they all but disappeared as a society when their leader, Montezuma, was defeated by Cortes and the Spanish army. That's because the Aztecs had a centralized system of leadership. It was reliant upon one point of authority, and when that authority was taken down, then the society fell. But centralized organizations aren't the only organizations that exist. There are decentralized groups, too. For instance, the Apache Nation also found itself under attack from that same Spanish army that defeated the Aztecs years before. But rather than retaining all of their authority and power in one place, the Apache decentralized and became nomadic. Because the power they had was shared, because it was moved and distributed among multiple leaders at different points in time, with each acting leader's authority being trusted and valued by the whole, 
the Spanish army never succeeded in overcoming the Apache. Now, there are benefits to both centralized and decentralized groups, but there is one thing that is certain. Decentralized groups are more resilient, more adaptable, and more inclined to survive when they are being faced with life-threatening challenges, just like the starfish can regenerate after a severe wounding blow when a spider cannot. Groups that have multiple pathways for regeneration and growth will survive when others do not. Now, this book, The Starfish and the Spider, might have been written within the last 20 years, but when we look at our scripture passage for today, when we read about this disagreement that is happening between Joshua and Moses, we see that these ancient Hebrew leaders were having that same conversation. Just how should communities of faith operate if they are going to survive the challenging and often treacherous circumstances that they are being called into? Because in our passage today, as I said earlier, the Hebrews were facing very challenging circumstances. It had been a few years since they were led out of Egypt into freedom, but freedom was hard. They had been walking through the desert, following this pillar of cloud and then this pillar of fire, which meant that they were always walking in some sort of fog. They had been provided for along the way. Manna was still falling from the sky, but they were bored of eating manna. They wanted something different to eat. They didn't just want freedom. They wanted comfort. They wanted ease. And comfort and ease weren't really synonymous with hiking and camping in the desert on their way to the promised land. So as the Hebrews whined and complained, the scripture says right before our passage today that God heard their murmuring and became angry at those ungrateful little people, which then in turn makes Moses angry. And Moses loses his temper with God and says, why have you treated me so badly? Did I conceive all of these people? Did I give birth to them? Where am I going to find them something different to eat? I am not able to carry all these people alone. They're too heavy for me. If this is the way that you are going to treat me, God, Moses says, then might as well just put me to death. But God didn't put Moses to death. Instead, God gave Moses some help in decentralizing his leadership. And that's what's happening in our scripture passage for today. Moses gathers the 70 people just as God asks him to do, and then God's spirit descends on those people who not only prophesy, but who then also own the weight and the responsibility of caring for their community of leading them, not just to survival, not just to comfort, but to fullness. But that's not what causes the conflict between Joshua and Moses. You see, there were these two men who were chosen, but decided not to come. Their names were Eldad and Medad, and even though Eldad and Medad didn't respond to that invitation to be leaders to join in receiving the Spirit of God, they too 
experienced the Spirit. They prophesied. They too found themselves while they sat hiding at home, carrying the weight of the responsibility that comes with being part of a community and seeing them through. And something about that really scared Joshua. How could Eldad and Medad know what to do? They had turned down this role. They weren't there when God descended on them all. They only had, there were only two qualifications for leadership in Joshua's opinion, showing up and being there to receive the Spirit. And as far as Eldad and Medad were considered, they didn't fit either of them in Joshua's mind. And I think that's because Joshua was starting to feel the pressure. He really wanted to keep as much leadership centralized as he could. And it makes sense, right? Because they're in this season where there's a lot of fear and frustration. People are getting really upset. They're scared. They don't know where they're going to go. They don't know if the promised land will ever come. They don't know what they are going to do. They're starting to feel out of control, and it makes sense that Joshua would want to keep a handle on things. How could it be a good idea for these two men to lead when they didn't even want to in the first place? Of course, the answer is that it was a good idea because God had chosen me, Dad, and El Dad, even if they had not. Joshua wanted to keep this leadership and authority contained and close at hand. Joshua wanted to keep it as centralized as possible. But my friends, the Spirit of God would not be contained. We see this happen again and again throughout Scripture. This isn't the only time that God pours out his Spirit on the people. The Spirit will not be contained. God empowers many when a human instinct is just to empower one. We see it over and over again in Scripture. In the book of Mark, the disciples come across a man who is performing miracles. It upsets them. They go to Jesus. They say, stop this man. He's not one of us. And Jesus says, no. When Jesus appears to the disciples after his resurrection, he leaves them all with the Holy Spirit. He didn't choose just one to replace him. All of them were given the Spirit equally, even the doubters. In Acts 2, the Holy Spirit descends on all of the faithful, not just a few, and it causes so much disruption and chaos that those who are watching from the periphery fear that all of these believers are just drunk at nine in the morning. Over and over again in Scripture, we see God distribute the Holy Spirit recklessly, without any concern for human processes or human comfort or human propriety. The Holy Spirit, it turns out, cannot be centralized and it cannot be contained. And there really must be something to it because at over 2,000 years old, the Christian church is one of the longest standing institutions in history. As Christians, we have always had a habit, a habit we continue today of fretting over the church because it has been so fractured and splintered since the very beginning. The very first church split is documented in the Bible, in the book of Acts. 
But it turns out that all of these splits, all of these fractures, they haven't broken us down the way that we fear it would. Instead, they have decentralized us into a diverse, multifaceted community with multiple paths of regeneration that have allowed us as the church universal to not only survive but to thrive as we have navigated through centuries and millennia worth of challenges. Today is the church's birthday. It's Pentecost. It's this day where we remember and celebrate God's reckless distribution of the Spirit, not just upon some people but upon all. That means that God hasn't reserved power and ownership and responsibility of the church just for some. God hasn't reserved the Spirit of God just for those who respond. God hasn't reserved that Holy Spirit for the people who deserve it or have all of the right answers or feel like they know what to do with it. It means that absolutely every single person in these pews Absolutely every single person who is worshiping with us online, each person whose heart beats for something more than just what human structures can offer them, has been given the power and authority to act in the name of God. If that scares you, <laughs> you're not alone. It scared Joshua too. <laughs> but isn't that incredible? When times are challenging or difficult, when we find ourselves wanting to clamp down, wanting to find a leader to tell us what to do, wanting to shake off the responsibility that might come if we accept it, like Eldad and Medad was, it turns out that nothing, nothing can contain the power of the Holy Spirit. Decentralized power it makes us nervous. And when we are nervous, we get uncomfortable. And when we get uncomfortable, it turns out that's when God does the best work. This Pentecost Sunday, my friends, you are not just people sitting in a pew. I am not just a person standing here talking at you. We are the people who have been gifted a spirit that is so reckless that it will not make our lives comfortable, but it will make our lives full. Today and in the days to come, where will that spirit bring you? Amen. You have been listening to a production of San Marino Community Church. Find our worship services on YouTube or subscribe to our podcast on Spotify. Spotify.